A few years back in our culture, and in fact it's still going on, there was a number of rallies and events happening across our country attempting to keep the Ten Commandments out of public buildings. You know, uh, if you haven't observed that there are political groups that organize and they are aggressively doing everything they can to get anything about God out of our country, out of our public buildings, to try to take it away from government in every possible way. What's so disconcerting to me about this is is not just the attempt to get rid of the Ten Commandments, but it's really an attempt to get rid of God. So as we start this study on the Ten Commandments, I want to remind us that this is not just about the Ten Rules. This is about God Himself. In fact, the main purpose of the Ten Commandments is not to teach us what is right and wrong, though the Ten Commandments do that. It tells us what to do and what not to do. The main purpose of the Ten Commandments is to teach us about the God of the Ten Commandments. Write this in. The Ten Commandments are not about God's very best rules, though it's a good list of rules. It's not about God's very best rules. They're about the very best God. I'm glad that we have the Ten Commandments in our foyer clearly posted for everybody to read. But friends, they will do you and everyone else absolutely no good if they remain just a random list of rules. This is not just about God's best rules. It's about the very best one and only God. Our culture, our society needs to return to the Ten Commandments, but not just to the rules. We need to return to the God of the Ten Commandments. Before we can dive into any study on the Ten Commandments, we have to understand why they're there and how important they are and what they tell us about the God that we serve. It's not just to teach us a moral code, although it does that. These Ten Commandments, they're not given to any country that is pagan to help them not be so pagan. They are given to a people who follow God to help them in their relationship with God. See, write this in, obeying God's rules will make absolutely no sense apart from relationship with him. Now, I would guess that in in a room like this, and the people who've come on Sunday night, we're talking to the core of the core, and, and no doubt, not only could you probably quote the Ten Commandments, you have probably taught on the Ten Commandments, and you have been living by the Ten Commandments for a number of years. But we need to be reminded of why they're important to us. And, and it's about a relationship with the God of the Ten Commandments, not just these rules. And as we dive into these rules over the next ten weeks, and we're going to begin to see how they bring life to us and they are a, a help to us, it has got to be rooted in the foundation of the God who we have a relationship with. And this is true in our home. Parents, you know that trying to lay down rules with your kids apart from relationship is a fast track and a recipe for rebellion. It's got to start with our relationship with them and establishing our authority that allows us to lay down the rules. So as we begin this series, I want everybody to acknowledge that you and I are not God. There is a God, and He has a standard, and until I know that I am not the one in charge, I'm not the one in control, I'm not the one who knows best, but He is If I don't have that set right, the rest of these will be a random list of rules that we may have a hard time remembering and definitely a hard time living. Jesus understood this, and I believe it's why he summed up the law and the prophets and all these rules in relational terms. Jesus is talking to us in Matthew 22, 37 through 40. 
You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the other commandments and all the other demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. There we have it. It's all about loving God. I think that's why St. Augustine said that love God and, and then do whatever you please. In other words, love God and do whatever you want. And this is not about a catalog of, of all the legalistic things that you've got to get exactly right, though they are important and, and we should not begin to blur these lines. But if I love God and do what I want after that, if my love for Him is right, I will already be living by these Ten Commandments and this will help me love Him better. If we don't get this right at the beginning, we'll be looking for loopholes. We'll be looking for the amendment to commandment number 10. Well, I'll sh- I shall not covet as long as anybody sees me coveting. But if nobody knows, then what harm does wanting what you have really bring to me? We look for all kinds of variations of, well, the ninth commandment is I shouldn't lie. But you know what? I, I don't always have to tell all the truth. I mean, I- I'm not going to. Just tell everything that I know. What if I just held back some information? In the Eighth Commandment, I, I should not steal, and, and so I'm never going to shoplift. I'm not going to just go blatantly take something from you. But, you know, if I could uh, somehow cheat a little bit and, and gain something by, by false motives, then, then what's the harm in that? You see, when we understand that these are based in our love for God and they're here to help us, it's not about what you can get away with and what is the technicality, how exactly do I follow this and and then still do what I want to. It's love God and do whatever you want, not know these rules and do whatever you want. You see, the love bar is such a higher standard, a higher bar than the rule bar. Don't misunderstand me. We're not throwing out the Ten Commandments. But the love standard is a higher standard than the rule standard. So the best way to understand the rule standard is to catch what the love standard is about. We're going to unpack that over the next number of weeks together. Once we understand what it means to love God with every fiber of our being, we don't have to have list of rules upon list of rules upon list of rules. I think it's a principle for our families. Rules are important, but the more that we have trust and obedience, the less formal rules we have to have. But for us to know when to obey and how to obey and how to establish and keep trust, rules are necessary. You see, it's, it's all about loving God and following what he has told us. So how does God spell Love. If I'm going to love God, if that's the, the focus, and, and these rules are kind of the, the, the direction to help us see if we're living in obedience and loving Him, the way to spell love, according to God, is O-B-E-Y. To obey. Well, Pastor, that's, that's Old Testament. That's Old Covenant. Now, I don't know if that's really what it means to, to love God, to obey the rules. Well, let's look at the New Testament. Jesus says in John 14, if you love me, obey my commandments. That's pretty straightforward. It's kind of hard to interpret that any other way. You have to do a lot of mental gymnastics to get away from this, that if you love God, you will obey what he has commanded you. So Jesus spells love the same way, O-B-E-Y. It's all about loving him and obeying him. 
Let's keep this in mind as we look at the first commandment together. Take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 20. We're just going to be in verse 1 through 3 tonight, and we'll continue on over the next number of weeks. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, look on with somebody. I think some will be on the screen. I have the New Living Translation for us tonight, and not because that is the best translation. It's sometimes good for us to see a passage of Scripture that we know so very well with words that help illuminate and bring fresh approach to what it is. I don't know how you choose your favorite translation of the Bible. This is extra. This isn't included. I'm not charging you for this. Okay, you ready? I don't know how you choose your favorite translation of the Bible. And this used to drive me crazy. How long have we had the scriptures? Cannot we get it right? Can't we just agree that there is one translation and not have any other translations? Could we not settle it once and for all? Aggravate anybody else besides me? Am I the only one? Aggravate anybody? You guys are so wise, it didn't bother you at all. It drove me crazy. Until I had a mentor share with me, you know what? It's not that that we couldn't get it right or God's word changes. God's word doesn't change, but our language changes. Our culture changes. And so there's things in our culture, the way we use words, that begins to shift and change. And so a good translation of the Bible always stays true to the original manuscripts, the original words of the Lord. But it also helps it put it in context of the culture and the meaning of those words today. We can use multiple translations to help us, and here's one way that it could help. You could find somebody who has a shirt on, and you could say, you are wearing a black shirt. Is that true? I hope so. I don't think I'm that colorblind. It's a black shirt. But I could also say that that shirt is a polo shirt, and that's true. I could say that shirt has a crisscross design on it, and that's true as well. That shirt has some buttons at the top and a collar on it. All of those statements are true, and and different translations sometimes either sheds new light or puts it in a different approach. Whenever we are studying the Word of God, and we are going to have great importance in a decision on a few words of Scripture, make sure we're using a literal translation. If we're using a paraphrase or a loose translation and we want to do some word studies, this is not what that was intended to be used for. If we want to look at major concepts, sometimes it helps us to have it in some words that are a little bit more user-friendly in our culture today. Well, for fear that I'll begin preaching a different sermon, I need to get back to where we're at. As we look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 through 3, on the screen we'll have the New Living Translation. You may hold the NIV or King James or NASB or another solid good translation. Let's look at this together. We see here at the beginning it says in verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Do not worship other gods besides me. This first commandment establishes the foundational truths about the God of the Bible. There's a few of these foundational truths I want us to explore tonight before we're done. The first is this, that we're looking at God's authority here in verse 2. If you're taking notes, jot that down. God's authority. It's by design that God's first words to Moses, it wasn't a command. It was a statement A fact. He says, I am the Lord, your God. All these other commandments come after this, but it starts with this fact that I am the Lord, your God. 
He first establishes his authority. It's the I am who I am statement. I am the only, the one, the true God. It's all about me, is what God is saying. This was a new concept up to that time. Up to this point, everyone had thought that there were many gods and many roads to spirituality. In fact, sometimes when we talk about new age belief or religion today, we think this is something new. This is as old as history, that there are many gods or or many different ways to spirituality. And this was very much the culture of the day, just like it is common in our day today. This belief in many gods is polytheism. Jot that down. A belief that there are many gods, lowercase g, if, if that's your belief, if that's what your religion shows, it's polytheism. When God spoke these words to Moses, the people believed in a whole host of lowercase gods. They believed in the God of the sun, the God of the moon, the God of the sea, the God of the sky, the God of fire, the God of wind, the God of wood, the God of the river, the God of mountains. And each God was competing for the worship of mankind. But God comes on the scene and he declares, I am the one true God. I'm not one among many. I am the one and only God. Now, this is countered with the belief in one God. This is monotheism. This is the belief that there is one true God. There are three major monotheistic religions. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. All other religions are polytheistic. They believe in multiple gods, multiple ways to spirituality. But in these three, it's a monotheistic view that there is one God. This, by the way, explains the tremendous animosity between the war of radical Islamic faith that would see the threat of Christianity and Judaism in a high regard because they're claiming there is one God, Allah, and Scripture and the Christian and Jewish faith says there is one God of the Bible. This is why they despise Jews and Christians so much. And we believe that God of the Bible is the one and true and only God. See, when your religion has room for many gods, there's no conflict. You can make up your own God for your own lifestyle. You can pick and choose whatever God you would like. But in the face of our religious pluralism and our culture today, God still has the audacity to say that I am The Lord, your God. God doesn't waver because it wouldn't fly on CNN. God doesn't waver because it's not what would be accepted in major universities. God doesn't waver because somebody would disagree. He says, this is a statement. This is a fact. This isn't even a command. I'm not asking you. I'm not giving you a suggestion. I am the Lord, your God. He starts all of this with an understanding of who he is. You see, that's why the Ten Commandments, I believe, infuriate so many people. It's not about God's very best rules. It's about the very best God. And so the threat to have the Ten Commandments a part of even our government or our culture is is not that it's just this list of moral things, but it's really about the one true God. Before we get so upset at the government, so upset at our society, we need to ask ourselves, are we basing our commitment to the Ten Commandments because of a relationship with Him or because it's what's comfortable for us? 
It's because of our relationship with the one God and our obedience to him in every area of our life. Or is it because it just aligns with what our political party that we prefer would say? See, our culture was rebelling against the Ten Commandments, not because these are so outdated rules, but they scream out in their very nature that there is one God who has the authority to tell us and teach us and show us how to live in every area of life. So you can believe whatever you want to believe. It's a free country. Men and women have sacrificed their life, For hundreds of years, so you can believe whatever you want to believe. But that's not the point here. The point is, you can choose to believe in many gods, but it doesn't change the fact that there is one true God. Just because I sincerely believe something doesn't make me right. I could sincerely believe that I could get on the top of this building, and I could walk to the edge of the roof, and I could be standing on the building, and I could believe that I could fly. I could just stand on the edge of the building and think, you know what? I really believe I could, I could fly. And if I would jump off, I could just flap my arms as wings and I could just take off. But it doesn't matter what I believe. As soon as I would leap off, all 120 pounds of me would fall and hit the ground right away. Ah, you're listening. Then my other leg and torso would fall with it as well. It doesn't matter what you sincerely believe. You can believe sincerely the wrong thing and you'll just be sincerely wrong. And understanding that at the beginning of the Ten Commandments is an acknowledgement that there is one God who has the authority to talk to us and tell us the right way to live our life. See, it's not an accident that he says, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in Egypt. At this time in history, the gods of Egypt were considered to be the most powerful gods known at that time. But that's when the ten plagues came, and that's what it was all about, to prove that he is the one true God, establishing his authority first. And this is critical to the rest of the Ten Commandments to follow. Parents, I think this is important for us when we look at establishing authority in the home. Before we lay out the ground rules, we need to establish Who is in charge? Sometimes when I hear a mom and dad who are talking to a teenager and they begin to argue or bicker about a particular rule, they don't like something that's going on, and and pretty soon the parent results to say, you know what? It's because I am the mom or I am the dad, and you know what? I have brought you into this world. I can take you out of this world, and as long as you're under my roof and I'm paying for your bills, you will do what I tell you to do, and, and all the other things that come with that. It goes through my mind, you know what? This may not be the best time to establish who's in charge. We don't establish our authority when they are teenagers. We establish our authority when they are toddlers. And that's not to say that you never have to revisit what we've already talked about when we were toddlers, when they're teenagers. But if we wait to establish authority later on, we've missed an opportunity. It's the same thing with God. Right up front, he's saying, hey, I am God, and you're not. I am the one and only God, and, and as much as I love you, you need to know that you are not. So what I'm about to share with you, this is not up for discussion. This is not something that you can tweak and change. This is not something that you can ask to say, well, everybody else around me is doing something different. God says, hey, I am the Lord your God. God establishes his authority to give credibility and to require our allegiance and devotion to him. Second, 
Let's take note of the order of these commands. I believe that knowing the Ten Commandments and even knowing them in order is very important. So like if you don't know the Ten Commandments, one through ten, in order, you won't get to heaven, right? Is that what I'm saying? No, that's not what I'm saying. But there is value to knowing the Ten Commandments. I can't live them if I don't know them. I cannot understand the God I have a relationship with if I don't know what he has called me to do. But I think that even the order of these commandments is very significant to us. Well, let's write in there God's order. Since it's all about God, it stands to reason then that the first four commandments instruct me about loving God. These first four commandments talk to us about loving God. Let's look at the first one. Remember, kids, the the number one, when we think of the number one, what do we think about? That there is an X through the zero. There is no zero before one who has a crown on it. There is no other gods before me. Do not have any other gods before me. Number, don't worship any other gods. And I want you to write this in next to it. It's not in your outline. This is talking about our devotion to God. Not having or worshiping any other gods. This is talking to us and teaching us about our devotion to God. Number two, Mr. Two is bowing down to that idol. Do not make idols of any kind. This is allegiance to God. Number one, it's devotion to God. Number two, is talking about our allegiance to God. And the third, do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Do not take the Lord your God's name in vain. This is respect for God's name. I'm going to have devotion for God in the first commandment. I'm going to have allegiance to God in the second commandment. Mr. Big Mouth, number three, who takes the Lord's name in vain, I am going to respect his name. I'm going to respect God's name. And number four, I'm going to remember and observe the Sabbath day. This is teaching us to prioritize time with God. That God's time has priority in my life. These first four commandments lay the groundwork for what it means to love God with all my heart, with all my soul, all my mind, and all my strength. Then and only then can I love my neighbor as myself when I begin to love God rightly. Now let's move on. The remaining six commandments, they instruct me about loving others. Loving others. Honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not lie and do not covet. God is establishing his authority. He sets forth his order. And then third, let's look at this first commandment that reminds us that God's priority is important. In this first two verses, he says, I am the Lord, your God. The word Lord means he is sovereign. Putting him first is putting him on the throne of our life. Right from the start, God reminds us. It's not about obeying his rules. It's about putting him first in every area of our life. Write that in. It's not about obeying his rules. It's about putting him first in every area of our life. I think sometimes we miss this in the Ten Commandments. And and, and we approach the Ten Commandments like a chest of drawers like this in your garage. I don't know if you have one of these. Some of you probably put them to good use. Mine is dusty and it's not been cleaned out for a long time. When I brought it up here, I was a little bit nervous to make sure there wasn't a dead mouse in here or something. But uh, uh, we all can see... uh, organizational tool like this and when we approach the ten commandments like this we we begin to think you know what god i am going to categorize my relationship with you 
And so we have all kinds of problems when we try to live the Ten Commandments because we, we even put God first and we say, God, I'm going to give you the very first drawer. It's a big drawer, and, and this is my God drawer. But just know, God, that I have a work drawer. I have a hobby drawer. Uh, I have a, a friendship drawer. I have a leisure and entertainment drawer. I have a drawer down here for hurts and pains that I keep things in, and I'm going to keep that safe and locked away. And, and I also have a secret part of my life. That's a drawer. I, I have my talents. But God, you have the top drawer. You're, you're important there. And we compartmentalize God, and we keep him in his space. But this is not the God that gave us the Ten Commandments. When he says, I am the Lord your God, Lord means he is your master. And when we approach life this way, we can say that, God, I'm giving you the top drawer, the biggest drawer, the one that's the most visible. But he says, that, that's not what I'm asking you to do. When we approach life this way, we begin to say, God, I will follow your commands and sing your praises on Sunday. But as soon as I leave the parking lot, I may have a fit of road rage. You see, because this compartmentalization suggests that there's one drawer that's holy and everything else is, is not sacred. But, but the fact of the matter is, every area of our life is sacred. This space here is sacred. This is a holy place. But when you leave this place and you get out on Mayhew Road, Mayhew Road is holy as well because it belongs to God. And so how I act on Mayhew Road is just as important as how I act in here. And when I think about my job, well, God, this is not your business. I mean, that's not sacred. I mean, I'm not a pastor or I'm not some kind of religious occupation, so my job isn't sacred. Your job is sacred because your job belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. And so when I look at how I'm going to relate and live the Ten Commandments, it's not about pulling out a drawer where he is telling me how to live sacred in the sacred area of my life. And we think that's one spot, but understanding that every area is sacred. So it's not so much like this, but, but at least in my mind, and I've shared with you before, I've got a simple mind. Yours is probably much more complex than mine. But God is saying, here's the Ten Commandments. You need to understand that, that this is a better model for how to live the Ten you see, it's just like a wheel, and at the center of the wheel, there's, there's a hub, and, and this is God. And He is first. He is the Lord your God. He is the Master. And out from the center of Christ, every spoke is a part of your life. It's my job. It's my family. It's my kids. It's my hobbies. It's my interests. And they all flow out of God and they flow into God. So every spoke, every area of my life is to be sacred because he is the center. This is the best way to look at the Ten Commandments, I believe. But so many times we begin to think of them as compartmentalizing. Well, how am I doing in the seventh commandment drawer? I haven't committed adultery, so I'm, I'm doing pretty good. But over here, God, this is this is my day off drawer. Leave that alone. I mean, I'm not having adultery on my day off, so what do you care about my day off? God says, if I am the center, everything that comes out of your life needs to originally come from me. Everything that comes into your life needs to point back to me. God is telling us for us to live the ten. Yes, we need to know the Ten Commandments, but we need to understand who is the Lord and the master of our heart. Gary Kinneman puts it this way. Everything in your life is holy because everything belongs to God. I think so many people look at the church and 
they're turned off to Christianity because they see how we possibly act on Sunday, but they don't see God working in our life Monday through Saturday. I'm convinced that we have generations who are missing from church, not because church has become boring, and I'm not saying that church isn't boring at times. Sometimes it is. But I think we have generations missing from church because there are watching generations who say, you know what, what I hear proclaimed on Sunday or what I hear uh, proclaimed on Saturday is not what I see lived out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or Saturday or the rest of the week. If this God is so powerful, then why do we fret and why do we have so much anxiety in our life when things don't work out? But when we begin to see this God is the hub, the center of our life, and everything flows out of it, we begin to see that everything in our life is sacred because everything is His. Finally, notice He says, I am the Lord your God. He's a personal God. He's not just saying that I am God. He's saying I am your God. It's not about obeying only the God of the Bible, but it's about making him my God. Write that in, making him my God. He's not just the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David and Daniel and Peter and Paul. He is your God. These words are not just spoken to the generations of Moses. They're given to us. Yes, God has all authority. He has all power. He owns it all. And yet he never forces you or I to love him. He waits for us to welcome him in. Isn't that the way of love? He says, I want you to choose me. And as we walk through these Ten Commandments together, I believe God is saying, Brady, I am your God. Will you love me? He's saying to you, Bill, Farrell, He's saying to you, Dale, Jacob, and Caden, <laughs> I caught him. I am your God. Will you love me? Once we answer that, the rest of the Ten Commandments are easy to see how they flow out of the center hub of him being in our life. Let me pray for us. And let's ask God to help us examine our life. How many times have we been approaching our spirituality about what is sacred drawers and what is non-sacred drawers? And ask him to point out how we can allow every area of our life to funnel back to him and flow out of him. Father, thank you for my friends and their great attention to your word tonight. I pray that you'll bless them and And you will reward them for their attention to your word by allowing it to come alive in their heart again. Lord, I confess there's times that we have heard certain truths so many times that it almost feels like they lose meaning. But Lord, I pray that you'll remind us that you have never changed. Our fight for the Ten Commandments is not because we think that we are right or because we want our political party to move forward a certain way or it's what we grew up with or it's what we're comfortable with or that's what makes the world go better. But really your Ten Commandments are not so much about your rules as much as about you being God. And so, Lord, I pray that we will not only grieve the thought of not having the Ten Commandments in our society, but grieve the thought of not having you in our society. And Lord, could you possibly prick our heart that we may be checking things off on a list of ten do's and don'ts. But if we don't start with looking at if you are the center of our life, these ten commandments are just a list. 
when you want them to be about our love for you, the one true God. Thank you, Father, for your reminder. Thank you for your sovereignty and your graciousness to let us choose to love you back with the great love you have for us. It's in your son's powerful name we pray. Amen.